Thank you for the work and the crop crops. I just have to tell you that I am continually being bombarded with people that are showering me with gifts and things that I don't deserve. Like somebody getting some water in case I get sick on my throat, which I do, probably will in the crop crops. Yesterday I was working at Lowe's and the little teenage girl that's kind of the supervisor and she kind of directs traffic and stuff like that uh, went down and got a chair for me to sit down in. Because, oh, wow. you know, the, actually my, my knees don't bother me, but they get tired quicker. Uh, she's a Ukrainian girl and knows. I told her, I said, well, you, you shouldn't need to do that and thank you so much. But God is good to us and we don't realize it. He just, he showers us with blessings. So I'll try to be sort of quick. Today, you want to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Colossians. I entitled the message, Man's Wisdom versus God's Word. It's just, it's verses, an easy verse. It's only two or three verses that it, the half of it are things that we should avoid. And the other half are things that we should pursue. And uh, it, it, in the text itself, it talks about philosophy, which is a, a topic that I brought into. And um, it's a, it's a void, it's a field, a void of, of good sound wisdom for living, really, um, when you delve in philosophy. And yet the discipline itself is a very sound discipline. I mean, it's, it's, it, they really try to analyze life and stuff like that. The problem is when we try to analyze it away from God's word and analyze it with hearts that are rebellious against the Lord. The verse... Uh, and let me pray first before we look at first. We're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Father, do thank you for this time. And I pray for our hearts. That it's our hearts overflowing with your goodness uh, to me. Goodness that I don't even come close to deserving. And uh, you're so merciful and so gracious. And I thank you. And I pray that you'll help me not to be deceived about myself, help us not to be deceived about ourselves because we can easily, we can so easily be deceived. We have our little ideas, we can evaluate life from the perspective of something that is inconsistent with your word and we can be uh, hardening our heart in the wrong, wrong way, in the wrong direction. So deliver us from that, help us to be clear with the word and understanding the things that are necessary to please you, to honor you, and to serve you. I pray you'll do that in my life, and I pray you'll do that in our lives as well. That's good in Jesus' name and thanks to you. Amen. Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells bodily, and in him you have been filled, who is the head over all rule and authority. The English noun philosophy is defined by the Oxford Dictionary of English. Now there's a not abridged, not abridged uh, dictionary, Oxford dictionary, 
the English language, but then there is a one that I have on my phone, that's the one I'm using. But it, it defines philosophy as the study of the fundamental nature of knowledge, of reality, and existence, especially when considered as an academic discipline. It is a formal discipline by man to explain his surroundings and ultimate reality as well as bringing into focus the explanation of why man is here and what is his ultimate destiny and purpose. And by that definition, you can see if you don't start with the Bible, you're going to come up with some pretty severe and uh, self-centered and distorted views, which is what has happened. John MacArthur points out in his, his commentary on the book of Colossians uh, that the word philosophy is made up of two words. One word is philo, which is the word we get we use for Philadelphia, which is a city of brotherly love. Leo uh, means love for. Then the second half of the word is the word Sophia, which is a word for wisdom. So the basically, technically speaking, grammatically speaking, the word philosophy just has to do with the love for wisdom. And uh, it means that we, there's somebody has a pursuit of and a love for wisdom. And uh, this is kind of what we're talking about here. There is this formal discipline. You can get a doctorate of philosophy or whatever, go to school and study philosophy and study all of the great philosophers who come up with some weird ideas about life. Uh, and uh, everybody, in a, in a way, is, I guess, a philosopher because all of us have our opinions, don't we, about life. Um, we have our personal bias and uh, we make evaluations which are evaluations according to your own personal standard of decorum, what's right, what's good, what's bad. Jeremiah 17, 9, which is probably a verse to place over the back of the classroom where they teach the philosophy. Do you, does anybody know what Jeremiah 17, 9 says? The heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked or sick. Uh, that is very true. And that comes out when you take people that are not believers and you try to uh, get their opinions about life. Contemporary philosophers have painted a picture of man's condition. Uh, pictures that they've said like man is living in a closed room that has no exit. That describes, according to some philosophers, what life is like. Others have professed as they looked at life that God must be dead. Uh, and they've summed up life in saying things like Every existing thing is born without reason, goes on living out of weakness, and dies by accident. And I hope that's not true of me, and I hope that's not true of you, because that's a, a pointless life. One philosopher has stated candidly, quote, that man is an alien in the universe, unjustified and unjustifiable, absurd in the simple sense that there is no sufficient reason to explain why he or his universe exists. <clears throat> and so when you look at life and you only see yourself and what you are, you come up very empty. Paul, in the book of Romans, talks about this pointless of life that people have who have rejected God's truth. And he says it like this in Romans 1. He says, well, since the creation of the world, his, that is God's invisible attributes, both his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. What he's saying is that 
man, when you look at the creation and you see creation, God's power and God's nature are demonstrated clearly in creation. That's what he's saying. This, these things in creation uh, demonstrate God's power. These things are being understood through what has been made so that humankind really is without excuse because they look at creation, creation, the evidence of it is that there has to be a creator. There's a reason why everything functions so well. It isn't just that it happened to molecules and atoms lined up in such a manner that all of a sudden, bang, here comes life and here comes these things. No, these things have to be the result of an intelligent design and not only a design, but one who continually oversees, holds things together and makes them function. Um, the, the text in Romans says these things are clearly understood through what God has made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they had an understanding about God, they did not glorify him, they did not honor God as God or give thanks. They didn't respond to God as God, they didn't appreciate God as God, they, they did not accept him as God, they were not thankful. Boy, he not isn't a lack of gratitude very prominent today. A lot of people are not thankful. They blame everything else. And uh, I've had that loads over, over and over again. People, well, I shouldn't say that either, because I do have a lot of people, when I ask them how they're doing it, they say, you can't complain. Almost always say, well, it doesn't do any good anyway. And if you do complain, it's a sign that you're deceived about yourself because you think you deserve better than you can. And you don't. We, we get better than we deserve. And so we're, we are the recipients of blessings from God and so he goes on to say, even though they knew God, they did not glorify as God. They were not thankful. And uh, they became futile or they became vain or they became foolish in their thoughts. In their foolish heart, foolish is the way of saying their unbelieving heart, their dead heart uh, was darkened. They can't see. And so now they profess themselves to have arrived at wisdom. They think that they're wise, but in reality, they have become fools. And they've exchanged the glory, the magnificence, the greatness, the majesty of the incorruptible, never-ending God. And they've exchanged it for a stupid image for the likeness of corruptible man and birds, four-footed animals, and all creatures. And so you can see in this kind of idiocy, this idolatry, where people are, are walking around you know, worshiping idols and worshiping snakes and, and looking to horoscope and all this kind of stuff, they have, they're great to deceive. They've driven their back on the truth. And now they're exalting non-exaltable things and they glory themselves literally come down on hands and knees underneath the creation underneath the creature and they become creatures uh, and, and uh, rejected the creator um paul says in the book of ephesians if you're reading chapter two says, uh, he, he says talking about the sinfulness of man he says you who are dead and then you can bop, 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 move down about almost a paragraph till he takes up that same sentence. God has made alive. So if you are a dead person, if you're a person without Christ, without his understanding, <clears throat> without his mercy, without his grace, if you're outside of Christ, your only hope of being able to see clearly is if God makes you alive. It opens your heart and opens your life. And so... There are a number of verses I want to read. I'm just going to read one. Take the Bibles and turn to Psalm chapter 1. Now, this is one of the blessings of having no voice. I have to skip too much my passages. But Psalm 1, we can look at. Psalm 1 gives us kind of a contrast between 
what we call the light that is infected by or influenced by God and his word and the light that is not. And the philosophers look at life, they don't see God, they see he's dead. They title their evaluation of life as the, the, the best solution of life is suicide and uh, that you can get out of this thing and be happy. And you can't be happy without the Lord. The Lord gives you joy. And uh, your joy is, oh, oh, Jesus said that to his disciples. I want you to have my joy in you. And so Psalm chapter 1 is about the contrast, if you will, between two lives. Just like in our text, we are looking at the contrast here at the beginning of this, of this verse where he talks about pursuing philosophy and empty deceit. And then at the last part where he talks about uh, pursuing Christ, uh, one in whom the fullness of uh, deity dwells. You got those two choices. And that's what we're looking at. So the first one is in this uh, Psalm chapter 1. Let's read it together. You know it anyway, real well. But it starts out Psalm 1, uh, only six verses, starts out talking about how blessed man is. It ends up at the very end talking about how the wicked are going to perish. So you got that contrast. You got people that are blessed. I guess maybe you want to be blessed. I do. And I just opened up this morning talking about the fact that uh, I'm I really, I really am treated like royalty. That is absolutely true. I, we'll have a Bible study today. We'll go over to Larry Davis. I'll sit down. And somebody say, Pastor Peter, can I get something to eat? You want a cup of coffee? You want something to eat? Somebody brings over some coffee or whatever. I don't deserve that. There's no reason why it should, it should happen to me as opposed to anybody else. That's the truth. And uh, and I, I do appreciate the love. And I do appreciate the care. But I'm not worthy of that. I know that. And uh, I'm not worthy of having people make special attention. Um, and I'm, I, I just appreciate the goodness. Anyway, this psalm has the first part. talks about those that are blessed. And he talks about the way of life. He talks about three aspects of living. Those that walk. Those that stand and those that sit. And that has to do with just the various displays of life. People that you walk into the council of the wicked, or you are standing uh, in the way of sinners, or you're sitting in the seat of scoffers. These are, this is just part of life and how you go through the life. He goes on and gets down to the end where he talks about uh, God knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The way is the life, the way of the righteous, or the way of the wicked. He's analyzing two lives. Two kinds of lives, and he's talking about it. So we're talking about philosophy. We're talking about analyzing your life, and uh, whether the influence of God is a good influence in your life, or whether you push that stuff aside because it's archaic and and weakness, and you rather grab the bull by the horns and live life on your own terms and do what you want to do, which is what some of my loved ones have done. They've decided against all wisdom and reason and understanding, they decided to push that aside because they think they can handle life better on their own terms and uh, they're finding things not doing quite as well as it would like for it to be. And that's what happens. We already know that. We know that very clearly, that if we decide to live life on our own terms, and God says, okay, go ahead and add it. It's going to fall apart. We know, we know that already. But the problem is Satan deceived us into thinking that we can do better on our own. So, Anyway, here's the psalm. Psalm 1 starts out, How blessed, happy, or fortunate is the man uh, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, so that uh, this walking is just going through life, and his life 
is guided by or shepherded by or directed <laughs> by simply the well wicked people that the only influence in his life is wickedness. Now all of that we're gonna have that in the news. We're gonna have that if we go off to college to a secular school, we're gonna have that. But we have to understand that that should not be the guiding principle of our life. <coughs> we know the Lord, we want our lives. You understand that? We want our lives to come under the influence of the scriptures, the word of God. You have a Bible, so if you go off to school you should bring the Bible. And that should be the textbook that you read every morning. It should be the most important topic. And you should, when you, you go off to school, you should look for a good church. You should find the church. And if you don't have a good church there in that area, find one close by. And you might even have to do the drastic thing of going to a different school if necessary. But it's important to have a fellowship of people that love Jesus with you because that's your life. That's your education. That's your, your welfare. That's your family. And you need that. You need that. That's important. So, here he's talking about blessed, happy, fortune, and the envy that's made us not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor does he slow down and stand in the conversation of the wicked in the way of sinners, nor is he life, his life to be uh, analyzed as he sits down with scoffers and, and has, a, <coughs> has a, a relationship with scoffers. That should, should not be the deciding factor. Excuse me. So, um, this describes his life. He's like this. Uh, the, the blessed man is a man who does not set his life on hold and pursue these other three areas of influence. He goes on to say, but his delight, delight is a very important word in the scriptures. The Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you desires in your heart. That's one of my life verses. That's a really important one. Most of the time, I talk to young people all the time. Tell them delight in the Lord. They say delight in the Lord. That's boring. Well, it is boring if all you're doing is you're looking for something to input your your juices and make you feel a certain way. But it's not. It's really important when you talk about the God of the universe, who has the power of being in Himself and by Himself there was nothing else at all. And He created everything. Everything that you see and know and understand comes by His creation. Um, and then, and we have the privilege of being with him, being with him forever. There's nothing that can come close to that. Nothing can even fathom that. So here is the Lord, and these people. Uh, he says that um, his in his delight, or oh, his delight is in the law of Yahweh, and in his law he meditates day and night. Which means you have to read it, you have to study it. It becomes a part of your input, your your um, musings, maybe what you're thinking about when you're driving. I have a friend that I suggested, uh, and this is good advice to all of you. I suggested this friend that she download the Grace to You app on her cell phone because that provides the the uh, the app that gives you the thirty minute radio teaching of John MacArthur every day, and they're going to organize the matter. You can get through part one, part two, part three, part four of the Master's Men, the Apostles, or whatever. John is very thorough. He's very solid. And uh, it'll give you an input in the word that you need. Uh, it's just important to have that, to have that input in your life. So it directs your thinking. It directs your life. It directs how you look at life and what you think about life. And so I've, I've encouraged her to do that and let that and listen to it. She can listen to it while she's going to work. You can take it and just play that, put that thing on and listen to it and profit from it. What a good way to spend the time because you're going to work. Studying God's word and having that input in your life—it's really important. Use your time wisely. 
discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, you see. So here's here's this um this this text here that talks about uh meditating on it day and night. And the one that meditates on day and night, he says, will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit this season. So what is he doing? He's he's showing us what the life, the two lives are going to be like. Right? And the life that is meditating with God's word takes it seriously. You may not, you might not see the meditation. Uh, and you may not see the commitment to God, taking God's law seriously. That's all private, that's closet time, so to speak. You won't see that. But you'll see the life. And the illustration here is of a tree firmly planted by streams of water in the desert. You don't have streams of water all on the ground. If you have a, you might have a place where sometimes it comes down a little bit and makes a little pool, an oasis, but it's all on the ground. <clears throat> but in the desert, if you have a place where there's underground water and a tree is firmly planted there, it will prosper, it will be green. And the illustration here is you may look at it, you may not see the water, but you can see the greenery, you can see the food, and you know the tree is firmly planted and established. Why? Because that's the life that is grounded on God's word. That is the life that is, that is taking root. If you will, in the in the Word of God, and so here he says that that uh, it would be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, yields its fruit in its season, its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. Why? Because God's Word is nourishment and strength and support for him. The wicked are not that way; they're going to be like the chaff. What's the chaff? Well, the chaff is the husk of the wheat. If you have sunflower seed and you feed the birds, you put the sunflower seed in there, the bird will come. They'll crack it open, they'll take the, the meat of the seed out and leave the husk. And the husk just goes away. It's not any good. It's nothing you can do. That's all that comes out of the life. It lives for itself. It's, uh, the life becomes like chaff, like sunflower seed. That doesn't mean anything. It's just a husk. And you blow on it and it goes away. And he says that um, the wicked do. Um, they're like chaff when the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not rise in the judgment. One translation says, stand. What he means is there is a judgment coming. So all of us in this room will one day will experience the judgment of God. But some of us have experienced that already because we've come to the Lord and he's borne our sins on the cross. And so in that sense, our judgment has been uh, already made on Christ. But others still have that, that that force in front of us. We can bow our heads to the Lord and ask him for mercy and grace and, and begin to pursue him, seek him. And uh, he says, if you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. But we know that if you can't really, really go out and by yourself, but the Lord has said that. He's within your heart. He works in your life. He works in your hungers. So do you hear what I'm saying? The Lord is speaking to your heart. Take that as God saying, listen, don't run away from me. Come to me. Let me begin to develop your heart. Give your heart that is responding as it should be to your word. So the wicked are not so, they can be like the chaff with the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. <clears throat> the judgment, if we are there and we stand before the judgment, our heads will be bowed, will be on our face. There's no hope unless we know the Lord. If we, if the wicked will not be standing in the judgment, nor will sinners be found in the fellowship of the congregation of the righteous. That's the, that's the, those are the congregations of people that are lost, that are going to be cast out in the outer darkness. <clears throat> but he says, <clears throat> Yahweh knows the way of the righteous. That word know means that he's very intimate with the life. He's intimate. Um, Noah was on the ark, and it got 
came time where the water was abating and stuff, and he was wanting where to get out, my brother to uh, get out from the ark and settle, and it was kind of quiet. The Bible says that God remembered Noah, and uh, he, he remembered that he was there and stuck in that box with all those apples. And so he opened the door and he let him out. And so God knows, he knows the way of the righteous, uh, but the way of the wicked will perish. All right, I've gone through that pretty quickly. Two lives, one takes God seriously and his word seriously, the other one does not. Philosophy is life that is set on <coughs> seeking to live life according to some kind of guiding principle. And uh, we want it to be God's word. And so we have <coughs> maybe in this first set, section things to avoid let me just give you a couple of words that may be important the first one is constant vigil one of the first things that that uh, comes out of this text is when he he opens up the text it says see to it and no one takes you captive to philosophy and empty deception the idea of see see through it uh is a was the present tense imperative uh and it means that constantly being watchful and being aware of the danger. We don't always think about that, but we should. When we sit down with the TV, we've got that idle box in front of us. It might be a good idea to evaluate what we're going to watch before we do it, because it affects our mind, it affects what we put into our hearts. And so we, we want to be vigilant. Bible, Jesus talked about being aware of false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, they're disguised. Uh, they seem to be on the outside one thing, but inside they're ravenous wolves. He says you'll know them not by what they say, but their fruit, what comes out of their lives. And uh, he goes on, uh, Paul said to the Philippians, uh, to the uh, elders that Miletus, uh, he said to them, among other things, he said, you need to be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock over which the Holy Spirit made your overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. He goes on to say, be watchful, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. What he's saying is, I'm really burdened for you. I'm really, my heart is really out for you. And I'm telling you, you need to be on alert. You need to be careful. You need to be watching. There are dangers. Uh, he uses in the text that no one takes you uh, captive. He uses that word captive. Being taken captive is a word for uh, kidnapping uh, during the, the war times back in the New Testament. If uh, the enemy came in and they conquered a king, they would take the some of the royalty, the kings and others as captives or prisoners of war. They would chain them and they would display them. These, <clears throat> these are those that had fallen victim and we had taken them captive. Nothing is more heart-wrenching for a pastor than to have somebody in his church or even worse, somebody in his family who has been taken captive by the enemy and led astray and taken down the pathway of being a, a, a trophy for the enemy rather than for the Lord. And that's a hard, that's a hard thing. And so we got to remember <clears throat> that we are in a battle. I remember sitting in a room in Weaverville with a couple that had been going to the church and they were being led astray by the Mormons. And I was talking to one of the Mormons about that and it was just like, we couldn't get anywhere with them. It was a real hard reaching thing. It's a very hard thing to see somebody that, that you've been working with, but you know that their heart is outside. It's not, you can't really get hold of them. And it's, it's a real sad thing. We need, we need to teach the Bible. We need sound doctrine. That's why we go over this in the, in the church. We need to be uh, defending sound doctrine and, and uh, 
make that a regular, regular part of our diet so we can recognize the counterfeit when we run into it. Uh, another <clears throat> word in this is, or another focus in this text is what I would call tools. The enemy uses philosophy, uh, which is um, it's just uh, opinions and theories about God, about the world, about human life, which find <clears throat> uh, which were taught in the Gentile as well as the Jewish schools. There were all kinds of studies that were not necessarily sound. The Jews took their philosophy and they mixed with it. They talked about elemental principles or traditions of men. They mixed their traditions with the philosophy. So they had a lot of Jewish traditions and things that they did. That they that was one of the reasons why they gave Jesus such a hard time. Is because Jesus, he violated their traditions because they elevated their traditions on a level with God's word. And it's not, it's not, it's not the same thing. And so they were really upset with him in, in doing that. And so here these, these uh, philosophers and these people who teach empty, meaningless things that are deceiving, and they're deceiving to lead people astray. There's a man's philosophical speculations that don't come from the truth. There's no value in them. There's no, no matter how deeply and profound they may sound. So uh, we want to stick to the truth. I, we have a, a um, group, Christian group, that's going to be, has invited me and others to, a, a, I guess it's an evangelistic outreach to a preacher who supposedly died and spent 90 minutes in heaven and uh, has now come back to, to uh, talk about it. And uh, people are listening to him saying he's very sound. He doesn't glorify the experience and stuff like that. And I'm very strongly opposed to that because I think that's a detour. Uh, it's a detour because no matter how good and godly we are, if somebody's telling us kind of their experience, we tend to elevate the experience on a level that's higher than what the Bible says. And uh, we can hear something over here, but he said, well, but he was there and he saw it. Yeah, well, we don't know if he was there and saw it or whether he saw it in his mind or whatever. I had a man tell me uh, a long time ago, and he already talking about the charismatic movement, not this, that being dead and going to heaven. <clears throat> but he was, he was telling me, he said that the man with an, the man with a, um, an argument, is at the mercy of a man with an experience. In other words, if you've got experience, you have more to um, convince people than does the argument. But that's not true. And I can prove that to you from the scripture. In the New Testament, where Peter was talking about um, that they, they were on the mountain and they heard the voice of God from heaven. And then Peter said, but we have something that's called the more sure word of prophecy. In other words, all they had was the audible voice of God from heaven. Well, that's a pretty substantial confirmation of what God's doing. If God speaks from heaven, that's a pretty strong, substantial conversation, uh, confirmation. But Peter says, but we have something even more certain than the audible voice from heaven. And that is, we have the word of prophecy. We have the word of God. That is more certain. So we want to interpret life not from the standpoint of having the experience, Lord, I interpret life from the standpoint of having what God says, the revelation of God. And so these verses here that we're talking about, uh, he talks about two more tools, the tradition of men and the basic element and principle of the world, tradition of men, 
uh, practice building upon the work of a previous generation, bringing updates and cultural adjustments. Um, those are traditions that we hold our traditions high and uh, Judaism did the same thing. Judaism had their rituals and their teaching and uh, sometimes you could not distinguish between the traditions of men and stuff. And there, but those are all sidetracked. They're not sound substance, the traditions of men, uh, the basic beginning elemental principles of the world are not saying the same thing, not sound, sound foundation of the rock on what you want to build your life. Now, the second half of this text, and I'm, I know I'm meeting going faster than you can probably keep up with, but the second half are not only things to avoid, <clears throat> but also things to pursue. We, we know um, when we've been looking at these things that as far as man's wisdom, we know that the Greeks really liked wisdom, the Jews really shunned wisdom, and they there was a kind of a uh, thing that the Jews hated and despised the idea of the cross. And Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians when he talks about the word of the cross, his foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those that are being saved, it's the power of God. God's wisdom is displayed on a different level from man's wisdom. And God's wisdom is revealed in his word, and you need to know the word. So the things that things that we pursue, he says, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells. And in him, you are, we've been made complete or filled. And who is the head over all rule and authority? Just three things there. He says in him twice, and then uh, he is the head once. Uh, in him, he says, we're talking about Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. This is one of the strongest verses in the Bible, in my opinion, because it is a strong verse that talks about the deity, the complete deity, Everything that is wrapped up in being God, God the very God, is in Christ. It's in Him. Uh, John MacArthur uh, says that um, this verse has been a rock upon which all attempts to disprove Christ's deity have shattered. And the philosophical arguments uh, to Christ being a series of animations, and you know, we don't know for sure the depths of the philosophical mystical teachings that were behind that. The, the writer does not give us all the details as he did later on after some subsequent writings. This was kind of early, but we know that there were there were mystical things, and we know that from what he said here, that Christ, the issue of Christ and his deity and his person and his work were foundational. It always is. That's the one, that's the bedrock that you have to know to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is God. 100% God coming in the flesh. So he's 100% God, he's 100% man. Your eternal destiny hangs in the balance before him. What you do with him will determine what happens to you. And uh, so you, you really want to take him seriously. And uh, you want to be focusing on him and who he is and his teaching. So in here, this verse, he says in him, all the fullness, that word fullness is also used back in chapter 1. Where he says almost the same thing in him, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Uh, in our text, it says the fullest deity dwells in the bodily form, but that's the same thing. All the greatness, the majesty, the glory, the goodness of God now dwells in this one being that is Jesus. Um, in the book of Revelation, you have um, 
the most dramatic and, and awe-inspiring text where there is this picture of the throne of the universe and Almighty God is sitting on the throne. This is not to be reduced to apocryphal imagery. It is an actual throne. God has actually created a throne. There is a throne which is the focal point that we can go to for the absolute, absolute rule and authority over the universe. And we can see the one who actually reigns right now. Uh, and that, that throne, we can't go there except in prayer. But we have access to that throne. We go before the throne in prayer. But um, there was a voice that went out there in heaven, as you read in Revelation, you can read in Revelation chapter 4, where it says that uh, in the right hand of the one sitting on the throne, that is the right hand of Almighty God, he held a scroll that had been sealed with seven seals. That scroll, by the description of it, is a legal document. And uh, the fact that it's sealed with legal documents and last wills and things of this nature are sealed, and the seal on the document cannot be broken except the one who has the authority to break the seal. And then he can break the seal and open up the scroll and execute the legal aspects of that document. Well, the scroll in the Revelation had seven seals. And the cry went out in heaven, realizing that this scroll was the entitlement to take back the fallen earth and the fallen creation and bring it back under God's rule that where he initially started, but where it fell. And that scroll needed to be opened. And so the search went out in heaven, who was worthy to take that scroll and to take that scroll directly from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. Now, God, this, is, this gets deep because no one ever approaches the throne of a king. No one ever does that. That is the one place that they have archers and people with swords around the throne. And if anybody comes even close to it, they'll be shot, they'll be killed. They have no right to come. They, unless they're invited, they can't come. But here's one who not only is before the throne, but he actually goes up to the throne. And he actually takes the scroll directly from the hand sitting on the throne. And the cry was, was made, who was worthy to do it? And this one, this lamb, was found worthy to take the scroll. Well, that lamb is a picture of Jesus, a lamb that was slain, and yet he was still standing. And so here's the picture. Now, all worship in heaven, not only worships the God on the throne, but also the lamb before the throne, which is a symbol of his majesty, of his deity, of his holiness. And so here's this, this uh, picture. And in this one that Paul was talking about in Colossians, all the fullness of God dwells in him. He is the majestic, glorious Lord of glory. He is the one that uh, is the sovereign of the universe. And um, all worship bows before him. He is the one that's worthy. And so uh, I'm, I'm rushing through this because this verse says so much. But it does say, in him, all the fullness of, of deity dwells in bodily form. That's the first thing to pursue. Pursue him. Seek him. Love him, serve him. Second thing, it says, and in him you have been made complete. Um, since the fall, man has destroyed his life, his passions. The uh, 
the relationship that God had with Adam before the before the fall, they they talked, they communicated back and forth in the garden. And as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, and God came in the garden, it says the Bible says man hid himself. He ran from God. He was outside of fellowship. He was now <clears throat> spiritually dead. And he was he's he has uh, distorted his life and his fellowship. <clears throat> but in Christ, we have been made restored. We have distorted. That has been distorted. And we who are spiritually dead, we who are enemies of the Creator, have now become children of His, and He has chosen us, and we now have a relationship with Him. And I trust that you have that relationship with Him, that you know Him, that He's that personal one that you go before the Lord in, and you can know Him. Read your Bible. And just ask the Lord to help you understand it, because nothing is more important than that. Nothing. And so uh, we've been restored and restored and made complete, uh, so that we now fit within His purpose and His plan. And now, when we go before Him, we go before the throne of the Friend, the One who died for us, the One who loves us, the One who knows us better than we know ourselves, the One who, as I was talking about, how uh, I'm unworthy, and it is true, I'm definitely unworthy, and yet He likes to shower us with good things, and He cares for us. And then the last one, not only we talk about in him, uh, the fullness dwells in bodily form, and also in him you've been made complete, but also it says he is the head over all rule and authority. We had a lady we worked with uh, who supposedly, and I really don't know if she did, but she prayed the prayer anyway, in our living room to receive Jesus. Her name was Phyllis Millen. She was a good friend. We used to meet with her on a regular basis for kind of a Bible study or whatever. But um, we were talking to her about the Lord and stuff like that. And one day, all of a sudden, she just spread out, it means he's the boss. And I said, yes, it means he's the boss. It means the Lord, he's the boss. He tells you what to do. He doesn't ask us what he, we want to do. He tells us what we want to do, what he wants us to do. And uh, he's not a series of emanations or as uh, they were talking about in this context of these mystical sayings is not one of the lesser created beings you go God the Father down to these bottomlesses where you have now Jesus as a series of emanations. No, he is the Lord of glory in bodily form. He is the one that has all rule and all authority. <clears throat> he is the, the ultimate buck stops with him. He is absolutely and he's never he's never uh in a quandary as to what I'm going to do. We see that in politics today. With uh, sometimes politicians who really don't know what they're going, what's going on. Sometimes they don't know what they're doing, and uh, it's really it's a sad state of affairs. But that's where we are. But uh, that's not true with him. He knows everything. He's on top of everything, and he loves you more than you can love yourself. And he cares for you. And so I encourage you to make sure you spend time with him in the Word um, every day, uh, because it'll make the difference in your life. Absolutely, prayer, Father. Thank you for. For this time, thank you for our Savior who loved us and gave himself for, it, for us, um, who is so good to us. And you really are. You really are. You treat us so much better than we deserve. I thank you for that. Thank you for your patience and with me and your love. Pray for the church. Help us to glorify and honor your name. Also pray for those that are not here. Help us thank the Pete and Gloria and the family. Pray for them as well and for their hearts. We all have families. Have two sisters. <clears throat> and granddaughters that we pray for. And so I just pray for these, these people. Ask that you would open their hearts and help them to see because they're spiritually dead. There's no hope. If you don't open the heart, there's no hope. 
So I pray that you really do that. Have mercy on their lives and help us to really be effective. Not only glorify you. And I pray in Jesus' name. Thanksgiving. Amen.